It has been a week. Amen? Amen. I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We continue in our uh, sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. If you go to chapter 2, you can put your finger on verse 1. You're grabbing that pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 1356, 1356 in your pew Bible. Now, on your way there, let me just give you just a little input into a piece of my week. And I came in Monday, and I read what we're going to read in just a minute. I read, as I was reading all of 1 Thessalonians, I read specifically chapter 2, which is where we're going today, chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. But after I had read this, I received a call from a church member. That church member was just a little bit uh, frantic. They had encountered a flat tire. They're liable to be in the room right now. They encountered a flat tire, and they were in the church parking lot because between their home and their work, they found a safe place to pull over with a tire that was giving them trouble. They called me and told me that they had this issue and that they were late for work. Well, I came down and took them to work and grabbed their car keys and told them that I would take care of this tire issue and have their vehicle back to them before they got off work that afternoon arriving back to the church, having taken them to work, I began to assess the situation. Now, I know how to change a tire, but you know, as I do, if you've had different cars, there always seem to be hiding the spare in different places and the jack in different places and the iron in different places. Everything's totally different. And so I got it all out. I figured it all out. I had it laid all out. And then after getting everything ready, I began to process changing the tire by loosening the nuts holding the tire on. And I did this, and I don't know if you do this or not, but I put the tire on this, the nut on the um, lug wrench on this way, because I'm not strong enough just to go take it off. And I stand on it, and I jump and jump and jump, and eventually it gives way. And I do this to lug nut number two, and I do this to lug nut number three, and then I get on lug nut number four, and it just spins, and I look in there to find out, is there a lug nut number four on this car? And there is. I'm just thinking there's something wrong with it. And I'm going, this is not going to work. This won't fix. I tried every other tool I could find. I looked at it. And so I go, well, something's wrong with that lug nut. I'm going to have to go let somebody professional take care of this tire. So I put on lug nut number three and tightened it. I put on lug nut number two and tightened it back. I put on lug nut number one and put it back. I put all the jack up, the spare up. I put everything back in the car because as far as I know, I'm getting ready to go and let somebody else take care of this. And I'm walking back inside to get cleaned up because I don't know if you've changed the spare tire. I was proud my clothes were clean, but my hands were not. And so I went back inside And as I was walking in, I was feeling as though everything I had just done was all in vain. You know that phrase, don't you? Having done something in vain. When you say that you have done something in vain, you mean that what you've done was useless. 
that it didn't achieve anything or it didn't bring or do any good. And as I was walking back in with black hands, that's how I felt. Have you ever felt you've been doing something in vain? You may feel that way right now about a situation in your life, about an action or a person in your life, that your actions are all done in vain. So as I was preparing to take the car in, I shared my exasperation. Yes, I get exasperated every now and then. Shared my exasperation in the church office, and Zach and Kenny both heard me complain at the same time. And at about the same time, they both looked at me and said, it's a lock nut. Well, I didn't know anything about a lock nut. I've owned lots of cars. I've never had a lock nut on my car. I've never been told there were lock nuts on cars. I didn't know what I was doing. I go, well, let's go look at it. They said, not only is it a lock nut, I bet you that if it's a lock nut, there is a special tool in the glove box that'll help you take that lock nut off. And I go, fine, let's go walk down there and see. So I come down freshly clean. I walk back down. Sure enough, in the glove box is a lock nut. And so I go to the back, and I open up the back of the car, and I know where the jack is this time, and I know where the lug wrench is this time, and I know where the spare is this time, and I lay it all out. And then I take off lug nut number one, lug nut number two, lug nut number three. I finally get to lug nut number four, which is the lock nut one. Sure enough, works like a charm. Then I take off lug nut number five, and then I change this tire. And again, I'm filthy, but my clothes are clean. I'm really proud about this. Then I pack everything up so that I can take it to the place to get the tire fixed. And as I prepared to take the vehicle to the local place, it was then that I recognized that all of my efforts had not been in vain. You see, not only had we have processed and changed the tire, but I had learned something in the process. Who knew that I could learn something still? I said, there's a lot I need to learn. That it had achieved a purpose, and it would have netted a result if I just knew what in the world a lock nut was. Let me tell you, you're never too old to learn something. And yes, I got this car fixed and back to the church member before they got off work that day. But you know what I take away from this in that morning is that the feeling of doing something in vain is a really hard feeling for me, and perhaps it is for you as well. And it's with that backdrop that the Lord provided in my life that we now stand and read the scripture I read just before all of that happened. So stand with me. We're going to read from the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Paul continues to write, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spotfully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God, we be to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. 
For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Thank you. Keep your scripture open. You, we're going to continue to walk through this. As I've mentioned this morning, we continue our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we talked about how Paul, Silas, and Timothy were thankful to God for the work of faith, the labor of love, and the hope and patience that the people demonstrated when they had come to know Christ as their Savior. We also discussed that their faithfulness made them examples in the local area, Macedonia and Achaia, and how they were impactful to the kingdom like an earthquake shockwave, you remember that, into areas far-reaching, how they had made a difference. And so Paul continues as he moves right into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he says, For you know... And the word I stuck on right there was you. Paul is talking to these people who have come to know Christ. These people that have a work of faith, a labor of love, and the hope in patience. These who had shared their witness to Christ. Paul talks to them in verse 1 and he says, For you yourselves know, verse 1 keeps on and says, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, when you have to have a conversation with someone that says, our coming to you was not in vain, that means that there's someone, some feeling, some people, some group of people that are telling you that you've done something in vain. Because when you say it's not been done in vain. And so Paul is obviously responding to some who thought that their missionary trip, that their stay in Thessalonica was useless, did not achieve anything, or did not result in good. And Paul goes on in verse 2 and he says, We had suffered before in Philippi. Now it's interesting, unless you know everything about Scripture, sometimes when it refers back to something, we need to stop and go look at that something to understand today's Scripture better. So I'd like to give you some input directly from God's Word. And here's what I want you to do is make a little note on your call to action or however you keep notes. Acts chapter 16 Acts chapter 17. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, and I'm not even going to turn there. I just want you to go and read these two chapters. I'm going to summarize and pull some information from you from these. But before coming to Thessalonica, Paul and Silas, as he just stated here, had been in Philippi. Now, if we had turned to Acts chapter 16, if we went to verse 12, and following, we would see some of the following things. Let me just summarize the story for you. 
It was in Philippi that they met people by the river. They met a woman named Lydia. Lydia came to know Christ. Paul and Silas also met a young girl who was possessed with demons, whose masters were making profit off of her. And they healed her in verse 18. And her masters were upset that they had lost their profit-making person. They raised a fuss. Paul and Silas were brought before the magistrates. That's that's verse 20 of Acts chapter 16. They were accused. It says that they were beaten and they were placed in prison. It was at this time, if you continued on, that you likely recall the story of the Philippian jailer. You know how we would read how Paul and Silas were in prison? It was nighttime, it was dark, and they were singing praises unto God. You guys are remembering this story as we talk about this, right? This is in Philippi. That an earthquake occurred in that moment that all the doors opened and all the chains, Scripture said, fell off of them. And the jailer awoke at this moment thinking that all of the prisoners were going to be gone. And he was, as Scripture says, about to take his own life. And Paul said, don't do it. We're all here. It was at this moment that Acts chapter 16 tells us that the Philippian jailer came to Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? And it was in that moment that Paul explained to them how to be saved, led them to faith. Scripture says that he and his entire house, he took them home, he cared for them. Scripture goes into a fact that they got up the next morning and they were released Now, that's the simple way of telling you how that visit ended. You'll you'll see all the more complexities when you read it. And then they were encouraged to leave town. So it's with this background of being in Philippi, when Paul says it in uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, he's hearkening back to this. And he said, all of this was not in vain. The jailer and his family Lydia and perhaps others came to know Jesus, and yes, it cost Paul and Silas their freedom, some of their skin, and many other activities. And so if you keep on going, in Acts chapter 17, it says that they leave Thessalonica, and that they end up, I mean, they leave Philippi, and they end up in Thessalonica, and that says that they reasoned with the people for three Sabbaths, so they were there at least three Sabbaths, which means they could have been there up to a month ministering to the people. And it says that they were teaching in Acts 17, Jesus as Savior, teaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in church. That's the gospel. And it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 4, because of their preaching and their teaching these three Sabbaths in Thessalonica, it says that some of the Jews were persuaded, 17.4, A great multitude of Greeks came to believe, and not a few of the leading women. So this was a great, great time happening in Thessalonica during these very small period of time. But Acts chapter 17 says that it didn't come without cost. It brought persecution. They troubled the crowd, and the church sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, where the people of Thessalonica, and when people of Thessalonica heard that they went to Berea, these people were so not for Paul that they went to Berea and had him run out of there as well. And Scripture teaches that in Acts chapter 17 that Paul leaves for Athens. But Paul says that too was not in vain. 
Because remember what we talked about last week? How many people, work of faith, labor of love, patience and hope, example locally, example earthquake-wise, repercussions into areas far away. Paul says it was not in vain. All the trouble, all the pain, Paul and Silas were likely in Thessalonica, still having to care for the scars of the beating that they took in Philippi. Now, I don't know about me and you, but if somebody beats me and tells me to leave, I'm liable to rethink if I'm in the correct profession. We think it all the time. When it becomes hard, we sometimes walk away. We're going, well, I'm doing all of this in vain. It's not making a difference. But Paul sees people's lives changed and recognizes that all that they've done is not in vain. And Paul goes on. We're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul tells them why it's not in vain. Look at verse 2. It says, because we were bold in our God to speak the gospel. You know, Paul says, we didn't come in here thinking, what, telling people what we thought, what we believed, what we felt. We came in and we were bold to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in Thessalonica. We were bold. Can I share with you that when you take time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascending to be with the Father, his desire for all to come to know him, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody, it is never in vain. Never Church, so many times we choose how we're going to invest our sharing in the gospel because we try to estimate, will it be effective? Will it be worthwhile? Will it cause something good to happen or will it just be in vain? And you know, when you think something is in vain, so many times we go, I'm not doing that any longer. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've been in a relationship or a situation or a job or a gospel situation, and you go, this is just in vain. And you're perhaps thinking that you don't need to do it anymore. I just want to tell you that Paul looks back at all that he went through, and he said, it's not in vain. And I can tell you that sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is never, never in vain. He goes on in verse 4, and he says, we have been approved by God and entrusted to share the gospel. Did you hear what that verse said? Paul said, not only did we come boldly with the gospel, but God, when he saved us, he gave us, he entrusted to us the gospel. Not so that we could keep it inside and, and not let anybody know like it was some kind of treasure meant only for us. Paul says he entrusted it to us to share. So when you share the gospel of Jesus, it is never in vain but Paul goes on to say that it is our responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus. And verse 4 goes on to say that God tests our hearts. You know, God knows your heart and your motives for everything that you do. And Paul says, it wasn't in vain because sharing the gospel is never in vain because sharing the gospel is our responsibility, and because God knows that our hearts are yielded to him. And that's never something 
that can be considered being done in vain. Church, can I tell you that being faithful to share the gospel will always bring a result, will always achieve a result. Now you're going, Jess, does that mean every time I share the gospel, somebody's going to come to know Jesus? I didn't say that. What I said is, is every time you are committed and faithful to share the gospel, it will not be in vain. It could change you. It could challenge you or who knows who else it could impact. And Paul says it's not been done in vain. You see, Paul never felt his efforts were in vain. He knew that God would faithfully work and it impacted what he did and how he did it. You know, just like if you think you're doing something in vain, you may consider whether you want to do it anymore or not. When you know what you're doing is right, powerful, life-changing, when you know that it brings about the intended purpose and will achieve something, hopefully that encourages you to do it and to do it again and to do it again and to do it more and to do it more. Boldly, as Paul said. And it impacted what he did, but it impacted how he did it. I want to point out two other words because I was caught by not in vain. But then I want to point out two other words that just sort of grabbed me that talked about how Paul went about doing this. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother with her own children. Note the word mother. Paul loved these people. Paul did not see what he was doing as work. And all the moms in the room, you don't either. It doesn't make it easy all the time. But you're driven because you know it's right and purposeful. And Paul treated them with the characteristics of a mother. Joyful obedience on the call of a life by God is very loving. Paul knew that they, he and Silas and Timothy, had the lifeline of salvation. Notice the connection with nursing mother, lifeline. Paul, Silas, and Timothy also knew that they needed this lifeline. And so therefore, they were ready at all times to do whatever was needed to share the gospel. Verse 8 says, affectionately longing for you. Paul wanted more than anything for them to be saved. And verse 9 and 10, Paul describes the lengths that they went to. They labored, they toiled, they worked day and night, never burdened you. We lived devoutly before you. They loved as a mother. All give, no take. And then look at verse 11. It says, we exhorted you, comforted you, and challenged you as a father. Note the word father. Paul says, we treated you as our own children. We shared with you what was right, what was true, what was good, we shared with you the example that we lived as a father. We treated you as our own children. And when you recognize God's love for you, his gift of the gospel, his call on your life to live and share the gospel, you will live differently. 
and you will recognize that everything that is done as a father is driven by love and truth. And Paul says, we came before you knowing it was not in vain, and it felt just like you are our very own child, mother and father characteristics coming together. Everything done in love and in truth of the gospel is never done in vain. You are driven, verse 12 would say, to see others walk worthy of the call of God on their lives. So, Monday night, I had the opportunity to visit with a precious family that I love, and I have known for the last 25 years. This family, just for clarification, does not attend First Baptist Church. Actually, this family doesn't attend any church. I used to work with both of these people before the Lord called me into the ministry a dozen years ago, believe it or not. This husband, friend of mine, is sick and has many issues. Issues that mean that life for him may not extend much longer. Church, we know how this occurs. I have spoken to these friends for many years, and I have overtly and then covertly tried to share Jesus with them throughout time. But nothing much came of it, polite listening, no real desire. You get the picture. On this night, our discussion turned to Jesus. And actually, he brought it up first. In a sentence that went something like this, I'm just about ready to meet my Savior. Did I tell you that I had known these people for 25 years? Did I tell you that they're not in church? Did I tell you that God led me there and that's when the Lord went to work? Because I boldly in that moment asked him with his wife sitting at the kitchen table with us, saying, okay, do you really believe that you know Jesus as your Savior? And I shared with him a statement that I'm now going to share with you for the third sermon in a row. That salvation is not something that we say we have. Salvation is something that God has given us through Jesus because of a faith that we have exhibited. Lots of people say, so as my friend, I said, do you really believe that you know Jesus as your Savior. And he said, well, I hope so. And God's not, he, he wasn't done yet. God wasn't going to let me settle for that because of my love for these people and my understanding of his health and my understanding of the truth. I said, well, I hope so is not enough. And I asked him if I could share more. 
And he said, yes. Well, I attempted to pull my Bible up on my Bible app. And I was struggling. And she said, we don't have the internet. And I'm going, oh, man. I said, well, do you have a Bible? He says, yeah, I know where my Bible is. It's downstairs in the basement, locked away in a trunk. I'm going, great. His wife gets up, scrambles around, comes back with the Bible. The Bible's probably 50 years old. Got the red edge around it. The red edge isn't broken because that thing's not been opened in a long, long time. And the print's about that big. I go, that's good enough. I said, can I show you some things in here? And we walked through Scripture, talked about the gospel. I answered his questions. I asked some questions. And then we got to a point that seemed like the appropriate time in the conversation. And after 25 years, I got to ask this question. Would you like to ask Jesus into your life? 25 years. He said yes. My heart won't allow me to say it that way. Church, can I tell you? He said yes. Yes, I want to know Jesus. Yes. And I'm just thrilled at this moment. And so we prayed together, and, and I prayed, and he repeated after me because he didn't know how. I pray, he pray, I pray, he pray, I pray, he pray. And in the process of all of that, he prayed to receive Jesus. And I said to my friend, I said, so the next time somebody sits down at your kitchen table and asks you if you know Jesus, really, what you going to say? He says, I know Jesus. God wasn't done yet. I said, I'm thrilled that you and I now are brothers in Christ and know Jesus. But I said, we're not done. And I turned and I asked his wife, I said, do you really know Jesus as your Savior? And the words that she said to me next will never leave me. She said, I do because I just prayed silently while you were praying with him. She trusted Jesus at the same time. After 25 years, years of knowing and talking and wondering and knowing that he wasn't, that she wasn't, and all this stuff. God gave another opportunity, and it was never in vain. Church, it's never in vain. We never live in vain when we live, to the gospel, live for the gospel. Brad's not just a church member. 
Brad's my friend. For 25 years, we've raised our kids together. We've gone to church together. We've lived together. And these last seven plus years, they were hard on him, but he was faithful. Because you know why? Because he knew it was not in vain. Valerie, precious to me. As I walked through cancer, hardly three days would go by before she would reach out and check on me and check on me and check on me and check on me while she was in the middle of her own struggle. And the reason she did is because she knew that her fight to be faithful in the circumstances of her life were not in vain. Paul shared the gospel. He got beaten. He got run out of town. But he got to see the jailer and his family come to know Jesus. Paul came to Thessalonica, got accused, got lied about, and got run out of town, but got to see many people come to Jesus. Paul is writing, just think about this for a second. Paul is writing this book of 1 Thessalonians years after this has occurred. We realize this, right? Paul's not keeping a daily journal while he's gone. Well, he might have been. But this writing of the book of 1 Thessalonians is occurring when he is in another place, led by the Holy Spirit, to capture all of what happened there so that you and I could get it. And Paul, looking back at it, says it was not in vain. It was all worth it. You know what that means? He says, if I had to do it all over again, I would. So I want to encourage you right this moment. Are you living for Jesus? If you are, it is not in vain. But if you are, you will be challenged to think that it is. That's how the world seeks to defeat. That's how Satan wants to come after us, to cause us to think it's all in vain. Church, can I tell you, living for Jesus is not in vain. God, Paul knew that God would be faithful in that moment. And so wherever you find yourself right now, I want to tell you that God knows. And there's a purpose. And if it hurts, hang in it. If it's a struggle, keep fighting. Because if you're living for Jesus and the gospel is front and center in your life, it will not be in vain. When you come to know Jesus and you commit your life to him, nothing will be in vain ever again. Now, you have to ask yourself, are you living for Jesus? Because Paul has shown us that a life that's lived for Jesus, a life that lifts up the gospel, a life that stands for the truth, and Jesus validated this as well while he was here with us, a life that is lived for the gospel will face challenges. 
Are you facing challenges that are due to the fact that you are living gospel forward? If you are, hang on. Be faithful. If you're not, it's time. It's time to grab a hold of that gospel and realize how powerful and awesome it is and allow God to have his way in you. Not in vain. And that was just my Monday. Isn't that cool? How God did all of that? I came in and told Kenny, I said, sermon's done. God just preached it all day to me. And all week, I've been walking through going, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It was hard, not in vain. Pick something up, not in vain. Ministering to families who have passed since that day, not in vain. God's good, amen? Let me tell you this. When you're living for him, he's even better. I want to encourage you. Live fully for him. And today, you can take a step toward him and do just that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray with each other. Then after we pray, we're going to have a time of response, a time of invitation, a time for you to think about what God is doing in and through your life. This altar is open if you and God need to do a little business and you want the world to know that you're doing a little business with God. That's not showing out. That's being a testimony of saying, God, I need you to do something in my life. That might encourage somebody else. You can do it right there where you are, or I'm going to be right here. Are you living in vain or are you not living in vain? The difference is Jesus and how you live for the gospel. Let's pray.